I remember is Voldemort and Harry Potter fighting at the top of the hill, and they <laughs> fell over, and, you know. Oh, you're killing me. Right, it was a revenge killing for Obi-Wan being And then Luke came killed. along with the yeah. lightsaber. Said, and I'm your father, killed. yes. Yeah, and cut his hand <laughs> off, and, you know. <laughs> that's the same story, isn't it? Pretty much not the same right. story. Okay. The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 54 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Matron, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hey there! And we're also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And surprise, 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 we're joined by Mark <laughs> Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hey everybody, glad to be back. <laughs> and we talked about this last week, but one, one of the... Um, the things that uh, they said was uh, like the one the one speaker, the first keynote guy, got up and he's, he's a success, successful indie developer named Josh Michaels, and he said to the audience, "Stand up if you had anything to do with shipping an app, right?" And like literally the whole room stood up, mm-hmm. you know. And then he said, "Keep standing if you're uh, currently making a living off of apps on the App Store." And everybody sat down except for like five people. So. This is where you fail the test mark for not listening to last week's show. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Which is really too bad, actually, because uh, there was a rather contentious topic that I wish that you had been there for. Yeah. Well, we was can, we can do topic? follow-up on that. Yeah. Yeah, can, I heard can... a little bit about that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, well, as I was telling you, Tim, the other day, I'm, I'm sort of yeah. on your side on this one, Aaron. Every time I, I knew you down, would be. Yeah, every time That's I, why I wish you were there. Swift, it's, it's, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's painful. It, it just it won't do what yeah. I want it to do, and it mm-hmm, takes a long mm-hmm. time, and it's slow and it's, you know, unintuitive. And, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but, maybe no, it's like, a learning curve, but I don't know. Well, yeah. it is. I'm sure it is a learning curve, but but yeah. never mind that. Okay, so let, let's agree that uh, we're finding Swift difficult to learn. Um, yeah. But my my actual issue with with other companies adopting Swift full time mm-hmm. is is much more to do with the costs associated with building and maintaining a swift app in 2015 yeah, yeah. well i, I, I wonder was... i wonder what the reality is about companies actually adopting swift uh well they hear I, it last the, week it's like well, everybody <laughs> sorry uh, yeah was this discussed last week okay well yeah that's wants to hear your opinion so it, Mark. That was yeah so you know so certainly in the in the indie community and in the online community there's there's a lot of buzz about swift and, and of course apple's pushing that but i really wonder in real production shops where there's real work getting done with deadlines and schedules and, and, and real product Woo! shipping. I wonder how much <laughs> is really going on. I kind of suspect yeah. not a lot. Yeah! That's my guess. I, I mean, just based on the crowd limited uh, knowledge myself. But I suspect not a lot. Well, there were there were a couple of points of, to that effect. I mean, um, Fouad was on the show last week, and, and of course he does a lot of uh, enterprise stuff, and he yep. was saying that a lot of the enterprises he goes into, you know, the purchasing manager gets the direction from some development guy, and you know the, the, the quote goes out, we're looking for someone who can do you know a full Swift implementation without like like hearing that's the latest hotness, you know, and, yep. and thinking that's what they have to have in their app, but not really thinking about the long term effects. And we talked about that last week was that. Uh, my point was that uh, my own customers, as you know, um, they don't care what technology I use 
as long as it does the work and, and does the job. Right. 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 Um, so, I mean, and, and I, you know, to be honest with you, I did think about throwing a few, I added some new classes to the app just before we released it. Um, we've done three, all three apps have now been, have now been updated and, and uh, the, the third one is, is going into the store for approval first, like the, the new release. Right. But, um, you know, and I, and I opened up a Swift file, and I went to add it, and then I saw the, you know, the uh, the Objective-C bridging, and I went, oh, I don't know, I've got to back out of this. Because you know all the dependencies we have in that app that would probably, if it was a standalone view controller, it would be fine, but if it has to integrate with everything else, then that's a huge challenge, right? Yep. And if I go down that road and I implement this uh, particular, you know, class or whatever, or start building the app in, in, in Swift, and I get hit by a bus and I have to bring somebody else in, even if it's you, Mark, um, there's going to be a learning curve involved, and, and that's going to cost the client money. And, you, you know, I, you know, I'm sort of protecting my client. Aaron's protecting his client in the same way that, you know, by not ad- adopt, adopting Swift with full force, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're remaining compatible with the, with the workforce that's out there, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. But it's not just that. I mean, that's an excellent reason. I, I yeah. agree with you on yeah. that. But... It's the fact that the language is going to continue changing. It's just it's it's going to be the thing that you have to come back and work on that is not working on your app. Yes, yeah, you're right. It's 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 all about like uh, yeah yeah. There's, there's there's that whole learning curve thing, constant learning curve, yeah. and constant adaptation adaptation to the new. Yeah, new I mean, look at the beta that just came out this week, right? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Xcode beta, uh, seven beta six uh, came out with some more changes to Swift. And right. now, like the, I guess I don't really follow it that closely because you know, like I've decided I'm going to sit back a bit. But right. um, apparently, like try is now an optional thing. <laughs> like, optional? what is going on? <laughs> oh, with optional the, yeah, optionals. <laughs> yeah, the double, double, double optional. The integers yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, like well, things keep changing, and I think that those changes are are pretty fundamental to the language. You know, so yeah, yeah. this thing is not holding still yet. This thing is not baked. No. no. So, anyway. So Jaime, we're just getting—I uh, don't know if you heard the episode last week—but we're just getting Mark's opinion on on the whole Swift versus Objective C and when to adopt, when not to adopt, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and I think you heard the episode because um, I sort of said on your case. I think in, in the case of your your company, you guys haven't gone wholeheartedly into Swift and or or even had a chance to look at it yet. Is that is that where you guys stand? Or well, we still currently support iOS six, so it's not even a. Oh, is an issue for choice? us, right? <laughs> really? Yeah. You so, you, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. I mean, you can't um, write Swift and compile it down to something that can run on iOS 6? Not as far like, as I know. You can it'll run on 7 as far as I've heard, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. with yeah, some extra work, you can get stuff on 7. Um, mm-hmm. But 6, is my understanding, is non-starter. So let me ask you, why, why 6? I mean, do you have that many old devices that you're supporting? Like... Like, I thought mm-hmm. we're at 86% iOS 8 right now, right? Yeah, it's weird because we're oddly tracking higher um, higher uptake of iOS 8 than even Apple's numbers. Yeah. Um, but we still have a enough of a contingent of iOS 6 where our product folks haven't felt the, uh, the desire to pull the trigger yet. Really? But it's coming. It's That's coming soon, one way or the other. Yeah. No, well, suffice to say, when you've got as many users as you do, even a small percentage represents a large number, right? Right. So you personally, though, have you looked at Swift at all? or? Um, you know, I've tinkered some some with it, and I attended some of the sessions of the Swift 2.0 yeah. 
bits over at WWDC. Um, oh, yeah. But I haven't looked into it seriously because I knew it wasn't near term. Right, right. Hmm. Well, I had a chance to play with, uh, I went to a session on um, Universal Layout with uh, Sam Davies. And uh, so, of course, that was done in, in Xcode 7. And he walked us through sort of an auto layout refresher and then went through adaptive layout, um, which was kind of cool. And sort of some new tricks on some of the idiosyncrasies about Xcode that you wouldn't necessarily know right away kind of thing. Um, but he then also was able to give us a, a sort of rundown on, on converting an existing auto layout file to, or uh, storyboard, to um, stack views. And stack views is super cool, like from the, from the point of view of, your brain doesn't hurt at all when you use stack views <laughs> compared to auto layout, right? So, so that was kind of neat to be able to, to be able to play with that, right? So, I'm really looking forward to being able to use that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's actually pretty cool. And and uh, he showed uh, we did it in in Interface Builder, and then he showed a little bit of how to do it in the code as well. So, which is kind of neat. Are those videos being posted online? They will be. Yeah, I think John Wilker has to edit them first. So I had okay. a sneak peek at some of them, but and of course I was in some of the sessions too, but. Uh, yeah, and, and I've got some slide decks and stuff like that, but and you can sort of read between the lines. But a lot of the code that, that um, a lot of the uh, speakers publish their code to um, to GitHub. So Justin Williams, the guy behind um, Glassboard, and he's written a couple of books on mastering auto layout, I think called The Zen of Auto Layout is his book. He's now updated it to second edition. Um, he's got some really cool stuff with, uh, with um, using... What are they called now? You mean uh, anyway. springs and struts, right? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, setters and getters and stuff. So, yeah, what he was talking about was layout anchors, which are the the things that on the edges that basically, you know, that have everything got pushed in eight, eight points on uh, all the devices when iOS 7 and 8 came out, I think, um, or 7. Um, and he, so he built a little class that, you know, increases and decreases margins, you know, and, and his sample on GitHub has got a little box with a green box with a red border and you can increase or decrease the, the margins, which is kind of cool uh, by tapping a button. And the other piece was, um, quick, quick straw poll. Do you guys use in Autolayer? Do you use, do you keep margins turned on or off in your constraints? Anybody else? What do you, what do you mean? Like, like anchoring your constraints against the layout guides and the margins. You mean? So no, no. So when you set a constraint, say you set a leading edge constraint, uh, you have yeah, the option yeah. to have it include a margin or not include a margin. I think for the and most part, with that the, off, with the, yeah. I think with the with the uh, option key or the command key, one of those keys, it's toggled on or off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the default is to use the margin, but I I hate that. I always I always just turn it off. Sometimes I forget, and it causes causes me some grief. But. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it sure depends it on the need. Yeah. Like if I, if I've got something that's going to float like in the normal screen, like like Apple intends, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'll put it against the margins. But um, very often, surprisingly often, uh, I'll be doing layouts that um, that have to go right to the edge of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In which case, yeah, obviously you don't. Um, so I didn't I actually didn't know about uh, holding down the option key. Uh, oh, yeah. do, I guess do control drag um, between uh, on screen elements to create your constraints. Yes. Uh, okay. But usually I use the uh, the buttons. The, the tie fighters. Tie fighters. Yeah, tie fighters. I use exactly, yeah. the tie fighter <laughs> almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, yeah. I almost never do anything else. Normally, normally I turn constraint to margins off in that tie fighter menu yeah. there. But right, exactly. So there's a little button that you have to uncheck every time. Yeah. 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 I'm just looking at I'm looking at Justin Williams' uh, sample code here, and, and he's actually got it turned on. So mm. interesting. 
I wonder, it just occurred to me that maybe there's a behavior setting in Xcode that lets you by default have that turned off. I wonder. Well, this is what this is one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the talk was uh, the fact that the, the layout anchors are there and um, Apple defaults them to eight points, and that's why everything sort of pushes in a bit from the edges. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I think I, I think that has to do with devices and, and where your fingers kind of roll across the edge when you're trying to grab an element or something like that. And then maybe why they're and maybe they're trying to be like kind of like tape type safety we used to have back in the day, Aaron. You probably remember that. You know, old school so, baby. Old school, yeah. But Apple also changed that from what appears to be somewhat arbitrarily uh, between versions of iOS. Yeah. I can't remember if it was from 6 between to 7 six or 7 to 8. 6 to 7, eight. yeah. 6 to 7 because it created, created wreaked havoc for me because my client is a pixel person, pixel perfect layout type person, right? So, yeah, we, we really have to sort of, uh, we're constrained to not use auto layout in that case. <laughs> you know. I know we've got a big topic to hear here. One of these is a big topic. You want to guess which one? I'm going to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Whiskus, all you can app. Oh, That's this is, this the is big... the follow-up, the follow-up to uh, the story we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Sure. It's, it's your your crazy, Aaron's crazy idea? Isn't that uh, the same no. similar no. concept? No. No. Not even close. All, all right. Said. So, yeah, Aaron, you were you posted a piece here about um, No, Jaime posted first. Oh. He sorry, beat me to it. Sorry. Okay. He was scoundrel. Stepping Lopez. back from the desk. <laughs> yes. Well, Off this is go, actually boys. yeah, kind of two stories. Um, but uh, but Jaime beat me to it because I posted a link in here into the document today, and I saw that Jaime had already posted a, a story from a different source, a lesser mm-hmm. a lesser source, because <laughs> mm-hmm. Ars Technica <laughs> wins over everything, even TechCrunch. Um, but uh, you've got two things here, right, Jaime? You've got Dave Whiskus's, uh Better Elevation video, his most recent mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. which is about the concept that we're talking about here. And then uh, the articles that you and I posted are about the actualization of Same, right? What are we talking about? Right. Um, so it, it was spectacular okay, timing, too. Um, was it? For, for Dave Whiskus. Like, it's almost, uh, it almost feels like Dave knew something that was going on at Amazon, it's awful uh, fishy. Because it was too too good of a timing for him to come up with and produce this video for his uh, Better Elevation series, um, where he talks about, oh, yeah. well, what if, just like the way the music industry has, by and large, moved to streaming, right? Uh, Taylor Swift notwithstanding, um, and, and all the trauma that went with that, Um what if, crazy idea, apps move to that level, right? Where you, you as a user pay some monthly fee, let's say, or one, mm-hmm. some one-time fee that gets you access to a set amount of resources, um, mm-hmm. apps in this case. And that could be any app, um, presumably one that elects to participate in this pricing model where yeah. you are paid per play or per um, minute spent in the app, let's say, as hypothetical models. So much more akin to like a streaming model, mm-hmm. for apps, is what he was talking about. That was the basic gist of it, and what that would mean for app design. Can I interject here, though? Sure. Isn't isn't this the same as Aaron's crazy idea? No. We... Do you even remember what my crazy idea well, was? Well, no, but you did. You did talk about the concept of, of yes, that of was separate having... from the crazy idea. Oh, that was that was a different crazy idea. We okay. did talk about this, though. You're absolutely correct. Like you that, heard that... this idea here first, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So FYI, claim, claim it, buddy. Put the stake in the ground and well, nail that I was sucker going down. To. Yeah, okay. I totally did. 
Yeah, we talked about this uh, some weeks ago now. I can't remember exactly when. But we were bemoaning once more the App Store and its uh, lack of, of profitability for independent developers. And it seemed to me, and we talked about this, that this is exactly the model that we we're going to. It mm-hmm. happened to music. Why won't it happen to apps? Why not? And Apple doesn't care, right? Like, to Apple, this is a great thing. And I think Whiskus in his video, Jaime, you, you can chime in on this, uh, did a, made a very great case for why this would be excellent for customers too, right? Yeah, so it it gets around um, a lot of issues that we've talked about, right? So rather than, let's say, let's take the extreme, right? So a lot of people complain and hate freemium stuff, particularly in the games arena, because it's, mm-hmm. um, in order to be very, very profitable, you, by and large, probably have to do very filthy, unattractive things, right? You have to find ways to essentially screw over the users so that you can find the whales who can give you, you know, that very tiny one-tenth of one percent of users who actually will make you very profitable, mm-hmm. right? This kind of turns it on its head in that instead of trying to trick users into you know, well, it looks like you need to buy more Smurf berries or you need to buy more crystals. Um, how about you just plain use our app? If you use our app a lot and you like it, um, maybe I should get more money for that, right? Use that as the payment model, right? Like if I'm an app that is using an hour of time for you per day, um, isn't that better than trying to get a huge number of people and pray that some very small percentage of them will overspend and ruin their lives with in-app purchases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think the basic gist of the, the pros of this model. Yeah, and the idea is that you would spend more time uh, making a quality app because you want your users to be in that app for longer. The idea here is that um, a streaming service for apps would compensate the developer for the amount of time the user would be using it, right? So right. that's that's how they they determine how much money the developer gets. Mm-hmm. In Whiskus's model, um, you would pay a certain monthly fee and get access to the top thirty, he said, apps um, in the App Store in terms of rankings. So, uh, and and within that, of course, all IAPs would be free. Um, that sounds kind of complicated and, and very uh, fluctuating, but uh, I don't know. Whatever. Um, the idea is is there. The idea is that. Um, developers in that model would have to create a different kind of app than what we see today in the App Store. Um, I, I I think I can see how it would be great for customers, you know, because, you know, why why think about that sort of thing? You could, you know, if you were looking for a particular type of app, you could then freely try every type or every one of that type of app, right, to find the one that fits you. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, it would um, make it, better for developers to choose to develop the sort of app that a person is likely to spend time in, uh, like a browser or a Twitter client, an RSS feed reader, uh, but not spend time developing certain types of apps that people don't spend much time in. And he gave the example of like a calculator, for example, right? Um, These are things that you kind of get in, get out. And so if you were the developer of that app and trying to get compensated by the amount of user time in it, you wouldn't see a lot of return. So no no idea is going to uh, be simple here, um, but you know I think it's it's very interesting <laughs> uh, to say the least. And you know called it. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question though. The so I was reading the 
subpar article on TechCrunch. Um, and there was some comment about Google. This is Amazon Underground we're talking about, right, as opposed to Google Play Store, right? Uh, no, we're not there yet. Sorry? Okay, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I'm. I don't know what are we talking about. Are we talking about Amazon Underground, or is that? That's what that's what this is leading to. We were talking about the Dave Whiskus video. Oh, and, I didn't watch the video. Okay, sorry. Okay, see, that's just it. Like the whole point of of what makes this so interesting mm-hmm. is that Dave Whiskus came out with a video outlining this entire theory of how apps can be monetized in the future, and and lo and behold, within hours of his publishing that video, we see that future being laid out in front of us here by Amazon. Okay, let, uh, look at this thing. Here this is called a service called Amazon. Actually, it's just called Amazon Underground, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Underground is exactly what uh, Dave Whiskus has outlined and what we spoke about. It is uh, a service that costs the user nothing, okay? And for that nothing, they can use any app in this app store for free. Mm-hmm. Games and apps, and uh, Amazon will compensate the developers to the tune of 12 cents an hour. So that's how much an app is going to be worth. And the idea here is that the user downloads this app from, and this is Android only, of course, so downloads this app from Amazon, it's, and it's called Amazon, and then the, that is an app store, and they can go into that app store and download any game or app and use it to their heart's content. And then Amazon will compensate the developer out of their own pocket. So the user's not paying anything. It, it actually lowers the ex- expectation of price to zero. Um, and this, so this is, this is the nightmare come real, right? Like this, there is no worse scenario for independent app developers than this. Uh, because they, th- there's been a, the user pays nothing. So they, they have no sense of value about what apps are worth. Um, and though they do get compensated, it is to the tune of pennies. And so instead of instead of tens of dollars that I'd be making on my app, I'll be making pennies on my app. Uh, no thanks. Yeah, it's 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 as bad as the, the banner ad thing back in the web days, or continuing to be in the web days. You know, like unless you're someone that's got like millions of people visiting a, a, a day, you're not making any money at all, right? So. Yeah, except uh, it doesn't take much time and effort to make a banner ad, does it? No, no. Compared no. to an app. Orders of magnitude different. Just blows my mind. So here it is. Uh, welcome to the future. Um, and, you know, but as we talked last night, you know, last week, um, I actually uh, just, you know, I was listening uh, to last week's show um, just the other day. And I uh, I took a lot of heart from what you had to say about the indie-pocalypse. Um, you know, no, no, nothing uh, actionable, let's say, but uh, a way out, Okay. And, and this is not news, but simply to regard the App Store as perhaps a distribution mechanism for your app, you know, we've said this before, but um, to look at, at app development as, as a component of a business, not, not as simply, yes, not simply as a product to sell, right? Um, you're not creating your app to sell your app. You are, you are selling a product that... Uh, of which your app is a component, and perhaps an important component, um, but is not in and of itself the raison d'etre of your business. So I think that's... Apple can't kill that. The mobile app stores can't kill that, right? So I think there's hope there. 
if you're well, there's also there's also the other thing the other side of it too and that is that a lot of mac os 10 developers um are using uh they sell their own apps on their own sites like in other words they use their own payment mechanisms they deal with their own you know uh collections and all that kind of stuff and they deal with clients directly as opposed to going through the mac app store and i think that we've seen an exodus from the Mac App Store too, and then and yet there are some successful developers who who have products that never even got there. Like there, there's a mix of them, right, in terms of what they do, right? Yeah, but I still think those are going to be the exception. Um, you know that that may be, uh, I think, the last bastion for developers who who build and sell their own software, and that is their business, selling their software. I I still think those guys are dead, eventually. You know. Well, it's it's the same thing, right? Like the, what's happening in mobile is going to infect everything else. The expectation that you that you have to pay for software is is driving costs down and reducing profitability, and that's going to spread to the desktop as well. So, you know, there are still going to be people who can do it, and you know, you know, we see Gus Mueller who came out with Acorn Five this week, um, which uh, is a great app, and a lot of people are using it, and he's making a living doing that. And that's wonderful. He's an exception. Flying Meat Software is an exception. But um, but for those who who need to um, who are just getting into the business now, say who want to be an independent developer, anybody who's listening to this podcast and say, well, how do I, you know, I'm I'm working my job job, and how do I become someone who can make a living making my own thing, uh, applying my own skills and living my own life and not being told what to do and not having to drive into Toronto uh, for an hour and a half morning and night. Um, you know, what can I do? Well, I'm telling you what you can't do right now. You can't be Gus Mueller. You can't be Daniel Jalkut. Uh, those positions are already taken. Uh, what you can be, though, is someone who comes up with an actual business that touches the real world somehow by fulfilling a need um, or delivering something, but of which your app is an important component, all right? So... Well, and the other the other important takeaway from, from 360i dev with the... The two or three people have talked about this is is you can't can't put all your eggs in one basket. That basket being Apple or the App Store, you have to sort of di- diversify your your income sources because you're not going to make a living. In fact, Apple's not going to be around forever either. That's that's the other reality. They've been Sherlocking different parts of their business for years, and they're going to be and they're going to eventually Sherlock app development as well. Right? Prediction. You heard it here first. I don't know what to say to that. Uh, <laughs> Sherlock app development. I, that's. Is that a reference to the last piece. job um, that uh, was it? Kyle Richter does, I think. Did he do that again? Yeah, he, he, did, he did a recap of that, and and yeah, it was it was it was less doom and gloom this year than before. But no, I was talking to like I was thinking about as as Aaron was talking about my past, you know, business efforts, and one of them was being an Apple reseller, and and uh, you know they had a program for value added resellers, which were small guys like me who could you know, have, you know, 20 or 30 customers and I would be the sole supplier of, of Apple equipment to them. And the margins were already pretty low, pretty painfully low. Um, and uh, over time, you know, they opened up the app store to the west of me and then they opened an app store to the to east of me and they opened an app store to the or north of me. I was surrounded by Apple stores, which are, are Apple USA stores, right? And uh, and slowly but surely, you know, my clients would say, well, I'm over at the Apple store and they would buy the equipment and then, you know, then I would, my my sales kind of dwindled down to nothing. And I remember I went to a conference, an Apple conference, Apple reseller conference, and we're sitting there in the room and it was sort of a town hall meeting. All the Apple people left the room and everybody in the room said, how can we make any money 
Apple's not making it possible for us to make any money. They're not helping us with anything. They're, you know, they're putting us out there by ourselves. They're opening up all these stores and, and, and eroding our marketability. And I looked around the room and thought, why am I here? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and I, I feel, almost feel the same way about, about app development. You know, it's like, yeah, I'd like to build apps. I want to put them on the app store. It'd be nice if I made a little bit of money back from them. And, and there was a time there when we were making some money. Um, but that seems that time seems to be passing or fading or, or evolving into something different and, and raises the question again, why am I here? You know, other than the fact I like making apps. <laughs> I think Aaron hit the nail on the head, though, and that as these things get commoditized, um, the ability to make money just from an app, pers- you know, itself, the app delivering value itself is becoming more and more difficult to do. Right. Like there's just so much competition and you're better off having the app be relatively unimportant in terms of the monetization and have it be the communication mechanism by which your business makes money, right? Like like Uber, right? Uber doesn't charge for its app. There's no good reason to. That would be dumb for them to do so. But it is the tool by which users uh, interface with their business, right? So Of course, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It is the crucial part of their business, but it is not something that they make money from, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, and also in the in old analogy of sales, there was, you know, back in the day, you know, we, were, we would give somebody a piece of equipment so that they would buy the supplies for that equipment, right? Um, if, if it was like in back in desktop publishing days, we would give them a film processor worth $80,000, um, with the expectation that they would buy the film from us, the chemistry in the film, and that's where we would make our money. So in the case of, like, it's sort of like the razors and the blades, right? You give the razor away for free, and then you supply the blades, right? So in the case of Uber and, and products like that, they give the phones to the taxi drivers because that's where the revenue is going to come from. It's in their, it, it costs them pennies or, you know, in the terms of scale of terms of where their income is coming from, it costs them way less to give away a phone than it does for the, the revenue they make from having people use their service, so... Mm-hmm. To them, it's, it's it costs nothing, right? And that's that's their that's part of their business model. Right? Well, that's it exactly. Yeah. So if you're out there, you've got to find uh, an actual <laughs> business and write your app to support that. Or, or like we said before, if you have a if you have a, a need a niche need, then you know, and you can fill it, fill it, and be prepared to make that that the make a running go of that, make that your product that you're gonna you're gonna get behind and support and market it yourself because Apple ain't gonna help you, right? Right. Yeah. And the other thing, um, you, you mentioned this last week, Tim, as well. I think uh, when you talked about diversifying, yeah. the, uh, the sort of thought behind that was that people were, were making their money from a variety of different channels. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned a fellow, or maybe it was uh, Greg who did, about a, a guy that was talking and he made a, a certain percentage, maybe 40 to 60 percent of yeah, his Yeah, it was, yes, 55 percent from Apple, yeah. Yeah, from the app store, but the other mm-hmm. parts were nothing to do with his app per se, right? They were like talking at conferences. Yeah, and... he does. He does uh, it was Josh Michaels, and he was in the keynote, and it was sort of near the tail end of his thing. And he had a pie chart, and he showed that fifteen percent of the money he was making was from iOS apps. Uh, further chunk of it was uh, Mac app store apps, and it was where you sort of sort of said it's sort of an unknown thing. You could make money off the Mac app store if you build a, a good app. So and that sort of ate up fifty five percent of his pie, and then there, then there was an, another large chunk, like so let's say thirty percent, that was doing videos. But we and we weren't really sure what that meant. Like, does he create his own videos? Does he how, how does he monetize those videos? And then the, the balance, whatever it was, twenty or fifteen percent left was was building apps for other people. Just sort of like that was a, such a small wedge of his of his business. Yeah, but yeah, exactly consulting. Yeah, so he was 
doing other things, right? So, mm. yeah. See, that's that's the thing I kind of have a problem with is if you if you are going to be an indie uh, business person, let's say, not just indie developer, um, then you kind of have to give it your focus. I think if you're going to be successful at it, at least, um, it feels like dividing your attention between uh, a an instructional video perhaps uh, business and a consulting business really steals your focus away from other things. Of course it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you know, like, because there are only so many hours in the day, right? Like, if you're going to do four things, um, you're probably not going to do them as well as you do one thing, right? Right, right. Uh, so I I would be leery about jumping into that kind of diversification. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would say instead that, you know, if you're going to diversify your business, it should be uh, one business from which you diversify your income sources, perhaps. Right. Um, as as that product, right? So you're not making money at all from the app store, for example. You're making money from different groups of customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's probably the best way to go about it. Yeah. I'm sort of dealing with this myself right now, you know? Like, uh, I've, <laughs> uh, you might have noticed uh, last week I posted a little blog thing uh, looking for a partner. Yes. Um, and this is sort of the line of thinking I've been going through lately, um, trying to rationalize what it is i've been doing wrong with my career so far (laughs) and um had a birthday last week and so it's uh, always a great time to kind of think about uh what you're doing and contextualizing uh the choices i've been making over the last uh you know 20 years of my software development career such Mm -hmm. as it is Mm -hmm. and um and realizing that um i'm not very good at what i do you know um because i make things and i'm i'm okay with that i suppose but i'm terrible at selling them right I'm right. terrible at getting the word out. And, and that's not going to change. I don't think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so I put this call out to find someone who's a little more business and sales oriented than I am. Right. Yep. And um, I, I feel like, um, you know, when I hear about other businesses that are successful or that achieve some measure of success, at least, uh, it's not just one person very often. Yep. It's, oh. it's like a couple of people. And so um, being sort of a extreme uh, introvert, I, I've done very poorly at, at finding uh, other people to talk with and uh, become friends with and, uh, and, and partner with, obviously, in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so hence the call going out. And I, I think that um, having that kind of person attached to a developer such as myself uh, could could craft a business that's... Um, that that's what I'm talking about here, you know. Yeah, yeah. So having having the ability to uh, create an app that is just the main part of your business, but is not selling that thing, right? Right. Yep. That's so what I'm I, talking I, about. I, I agree 100. percent And and in fact, I, one of the things that's been very valuable to me is that I am connected to a couple of product type people. Uh, I would I would just say that. One thing you mentioned is you put out a call for a sales type person to help you sell this stuff. I don't, in my opinion, in my opinion, that's not the right approach. You don't want a salesperson. Uh, you want a product person, someone who can understand what the market is, what mm-hmm. needs, what the what the market's looking for, what they need, and and what they want. And it's amazing how just having someone who really understands that stuff, uh, helping you build your products. I mean, if you build a product that people want, you'll be able to sell it, right? The, se- the selling is sort of the easy part if you have the right product. 
And mm-hmm. I think the problem is that most, most developers, including myself, we get great ideas and we kind of want to build cool things, but it's not necessarily something that the market really wants or needs. So right. we build this right. great thing and we build it and no one comes. Okay, well, that, that's cool. I mean, yeah. I don't, that's the thing, like, and I, I, I think I've been open with this in my own blog post is that I don't know what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, tell me more about what a product person is and, so, and yeah. what happens after a product has been made to this right. product. Right, so, well, okay. Or even before the product's made. Yeah, it. it's, yeah. it's really before oh, the product I get has been the, made. I get that's why the uh, before. Um, I'm, I'm the, curious about the after, too. Well, the after part, yeah, sure. At some point, you've got to get it out there. You need to have, you, you're going to need some type of sales, some type of, some type of channel once the product has been made. You know, you can find a salesperson to sell anything, right? There's mm-hmm. the great salespeople can sell, you know, snow to Eskimos, right? If I hope that's not uh, Oh, my God. Um, Oh, I but, think um, you just said that. <laughs> so, so whatever. So, but but the key is building the right thing. You know, you don't want to build a business that's just based on just trying to to you know take some piece of junk and and just trick people into buying it. You don't want that. You want to build the right thing. And if you build something that people really want, then you'll be able to charge a higher rate for it. You'll you'll have people coming to you because they're looking for this thing. Now, it's, of course, it's easy to say this stuff and, and much harder to actually do it. But, but, uh, but I think that's that's the right approach. Is is you know find find a market, find find uh, a need that needs to be met, and and once you do that, then then you've got something. That sounds great. Yeah, I mean that no, sounds great. And How do you find it, someone like that, Mark? Well, <laughs> it's tough. It's I mean, tough. Yeah. It's very tough. And you know the the couple of people that I know have done has just been kind of luck. Just you know friends of friends and meeting through just you know whatever miscellaneous random circumstances it's it's not yeah. it's not something you can plan out i don't think yeah you do have to sort of you do have to try the networking approach i mean i, I you know i noticed you don't you're not very active on linkedin and that's where you may find enough people out there that are similar minded that are, are fit that kind of need that you have um i i started working with a guy in um january february this year who's basically more on the product side, he deals with the clients, he deals with the contracts, um, and uh, you know he's he's sort of the liaison with the client. Whereas, in, so then I can stay and focus on on the building of the the product, as opposed, which is where I'd rather be, or in the creativity side of it, or the marketing side of it, right? So, because that's where I'm good at. But you know, um, but it's like it's yeah, it's networking. You know, it's, it's things like you're doing already, like Taco. There there are other other meetups you can go to that are more around the sort of business of business, if you will. There are also, depending on your income, there are um, groups you can belong, you can go to. I went to one for many years uh, called Strategic Coach, which helped me with my IT consulting business and my app reseller business, or sorry, not app reseller, my Mac reseller business, so that I understood how, what what the limits were of that, like, you know, where, where I would sort of draw the line in terms of what kind of IT jobs I wouldn't take because they were too small or they were too, you know, they weren't within the right thing for me. Like, for instance, not doing Windows support anymore was, for me, you know, a great thing because it was, it's a, it's a time suck, right? Um, but I had to learn that through going through and learning and figuring out what my unique skills were and what my unique working habit is and then building on that. So, um, like, I... When I first started my business, I had I used to do all the accounting as well. And then what I discovered was I was spending a day and a half doing accounting, whereas if I spent 
few hundred dollars a month, I could hire a guy who's been with me for almost uh, nine years now, who's my accountant. He does all my billing and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, that means I have a day and a half worth of work that I can now put towards other things that I want to be doing for my business or for my, you know, building apps or working on websites or writing articles or whatever it is I want to do, right? Or even doing podcasts. So you just got to get out there, and you know, like, so the first step is is is, is what you've done there, and as you put that put that uh, yeah. blog post out, I caught it. I sent it off to a couple of people that I know who I think could probably help you in some areas, right? Um, and they'll they'll get back to you. They're just kind of busy right now. <laughs> I think it's yeah. second to everything that that Mark said. Um, I don't know where I came across this idea, um, so I can't attribute it. And if I find a, a link, I'll make sure we add it to the notes at some point. Somebody very succinctly described, like, what should product be doing versus what should development be doing, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. product in this case is normally synonymous with, like, product manager if you're looking at job positions. Sure. And development is usually software developer or engineering, depending where you fall into things. Stop using that word. <laughs> <laughs> but just to give people context, right? Like, it depends on, on where you come from. In general, they, what they came up with is the product people should be worried about what is the problem? What is the problem space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what is the actual thing we are trying to solve? How it gets solved is development's responsibility. And that's actually a pretty nice thing, right? So, like everything that, that Mark was talking about in terms of, okay, you know, what is the problem? Here? Let's look at something like the iPod, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. Mm-hmm. That was great marketing for sure. But it really got to the heart of what is the problem. The problem is you don't have a way to have enough music with you at all times, right? CDs weren't good enough. Walkman wasn't good enough. Everything else was just flat out not good enough. The how that eight happens track is... Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <Eight> track <tapes>. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, and it also, you know, not only what is the problem, but is this pro- problem worth attacking, right? Like... Yeah. If you're looking to make a business, is there enough of a market that is either, you know, big enough to support uh, very thin margins at high volume or um, very small market, but it's very, you know, price insensitive. So it's willing to throw, you know, good money after bad or continue to subscribe, what have you. And I think that gets a lot to what we've talked about on this podcast, right? Of like making sure you understand where the wind is blowing with things and, and deal with that. And as developers, we're not necessarily good at knowing that, right? It's it's not exactly in our in our schooling, right? Like unless you lucked out and took like a technical MBA um, you know, degree or something, you probably haven't done entrepreneurship, so you may not know a lot of these different kind of calculations that folks coming out of the business side might have done. I know I certainly don't, right? Like can't imagine that there is a predefined way. I think that's why it's been hard to find good product people uh as you may have found mm-hmm. yourself like people responding it's still not, kind of a, a nascent it's a nascent kind of role right just like software development is still kind of new-ish relative to other things like let's say architects you know like building architects and whatnot and people who build bridges like we've been doing that for tens upon thousands of years mm-hmm. software has been a blink of an eye by comparison and product management product development even less than one-tenth of a blink of an eye yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I mean, we, we hear often about how in-demand software developers are. Um, and you're suggesting that product people, developers, product developers, product managers, product, you know, mm-hmm. humans <laughs> mm-hmm. are just as rare. 
just difficult to find. Yeah, good, good ones are. I, I would, I would caution that there's, there's a class of product managers who are more project managers, who are, you know, mainly involved with, with, with schedules and organizing and things like that, and, and, and those people play a, play a, an important role generally in larger teams. Uh, but I, th- I don't think that's what you're looking for. Um, no. I- ideally, you want someone who has some amazing ideas and understanding of, of what's needed and also has enough technical savvy or at least understanding uh, to know what is buildable. Uh, it's, it's, nothing's more frustrating than having someone mm-hmm. come up with a million great ideas and not a single one is buildable within a reasonable yep. time frame. Yeah, can yep. you make a blue-red line for me, Mark? Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, as an aside, have you seen the trailers for the uh, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs movie that's coming up? Some of it, some of it. So, so there's the the one line where Seth Rogen playing um, Wozniak is talking to Steve Jobs. He's like, you know, you can't solder this, you don't do that, you're not an engineer. What do you do? And in this fictionalized reality, of Steve Jobs responds, "Well, um, musicians play the instruments." I play the orchestra. And I think that's quite apt for what like a product person should do, right? Enough technical savvy to understand you know, what could be possible, but without you know, without the the hang-ups of knowing every little nitty-gritty technical detail because that can close your mind as to what exactly might be possible to handle problem-wise and you might also lose focus on the problem space, right? Like it's it's very difficult to do the entirety of this. The ability to uh, be able to sit back and have the comfort of coming up with the ideas um, without being too focused, right? Um, an eye on the market and an eye on what's technically possible. Yeah, I could use someone like that. Yeah. So if you, if you know someone or are someone like that, uh, please do uh, contact me. Yeah, thanks. Okay, okay thanks. Bye. <laughs> so coming back to the um, all-you-can-app thing and, and what Amazon is doing in Amazon Underground looking at the implications of what those mean. So if you're an app developer and this sort of thing becomes reality, what are the implications? Well, I think it probably means, and I think Dave Whisk has pointed this out in his video, that things that suck up a lot of your time, like RSS readers, social networks, messaging apps, those sorts of music players, media players, those become much more interesting to develop, right? Um because they just naturally suck up your time, right? If you're reading news, it takes uh, time. Right. If you're responding to people, it takes time. I think games are an interesting one in that I think they become much better than they are in general, like just with a broad brush to paint the, the mobile app uh, game industry. Like they're generally awful and much more <laughs> awful than, I mean, I, I understand like, you know, 90% of everything is crap, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, music or Broadway plays and movies and so forth. Mobile app games are kind of unique in the fact that, like, they found a way to squeeze out extra nines of uh, crappiness, <laughs> by and large, <laughs> right? And I think premium has made it worse, where it's just, like, these crazy Skinner boxes that are really just trying to trick you psychologically into buying more crap. If games fell under the, well, we are paying you per hour that you play this game, some of these... Um, terrible freemium monstrosities just wouldn't work, right? People would be like, why the hell am I playing this game? This game sucks, right? The the psychological triggers wouldn't trigger you to buy the $5,000 worth of Smurf berries, 
So developers would have to come up with things that are genuinely interesting to play. Engaging. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. You know, I, I, I ride the, tra- the uh, transit a lot when I'm going to and from meetups and customers and stuff. And I, and I often see a lot of people, everybody on the subway has got some sort of device in their hand, you know, whether it's a, a reader or whatever. But nine times out of ten, I see people just flicking away at little, you know, like those little uh, games where you've got match three in a row or whatever. People play those things incessantly. Those are, you know, I, and I look at those and think, like, why would I want to develop something like that? But obviously, there's a there's a, a need for it. And every time I look at somebody's screen, it's not the same app being played over and over again, but there's thousands of them, it seems, right? Yeah, ask whoever developed Candy Crush, and they'll, they'll tell you why to develop a game well, maybe, like that, right? Yeah, maybe oh, maybe it is Candy Crush that I'm yeah. seeing. I haven't really seen yeah. that. I haven't really played that game, but it's the same yeah. sort of thing. Like even my wife has a game that she plays where she just you know matches up lines and just she'll do that for hours at a time. You know, mm-hmm. so if that's the model where you're getting paid for the amount of time somebody spends in your app, it's like it's like uh, ka-ching, right? Potentially a gold mine. Yeah. Yep. Potentially yep. again, yeah, but again, like that's the problem. I like in that model, you're right, Jaime. Like it's definitely true that games become one of those categories where you could really strike it rich because of the time that someone could spend in it. But there's going to be so many games, right? There, there are already um, that it's it's so likely that no one will ever hear of your app, your yeah. game, much less play it. But this is really no different different than any any real business, right? I mean, by real business, I mean in the in the you know in the brick and mortar world, I suppose. I mean, you open up you open up a restaurant. Restaurants go out of business every day, right? There's tons of restaurants, and it just you just have to have a either have a, a really good, unique restaurant or, or get lucky or whatever, and, and people want to come in and if people suddenly lose interest, then you're, you're gone, right? So I, I don't see it as that much different. Yeah, and the ones that, the ones that are around 15 years ago are, are downsizing or, or they're franchising or what have you, yep. right? So, yep. Or they're keeping yeah. such a high level of quality that people are still going for, for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, Jaime, I know you're a, you're a, a big gamer. Uh, do you use Steam at all? I have used Steam some. It's it's not as well supported on the Mac, which is what I have, and I don't have any Windows de- um, you know Windows devices anymore. So, yeah, kind of the, the the amount of content that's available is limited. Oh, okay. Do they have a similar model to this, where you just pay by time, or is it, or is it, do you just buy games one up, one off? Steam is kind of stuff. interesting. I haven't had admittedly as much time to play recently, but I don't remember them having an all-you-can-eat model, but they no, have driven they app prices down to a, like, you know, you expect a game to be 10 to $15 when it comes out, and then eventually mm-hmm. will be part of, like, a humble bundle kind of thing where, oh, yeah, I get these five games together, and they come out to $5 a piece sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and interestingly enough, so thinking about implications here, right? So if you have a you know, for as long as you spend time in the app, you get paid as an app developer thing. And let's go with games. The implication of that for a game developer would be you've either got to find a way to develop an app that has content that is super cheap to keep cranking out. So you can continue to crank out new levels or new uh, tricks that you can do or, you know, new ways to cosmetically change the player kind of thing or do like online battle arena type stuff like Dota, Defense of the Ancients that sort of thing. Um, Or you come up with a game that is largely programmatic and is infinitely replayable, like Tetris is a good example of that, right? A game you develop the basic rules and you never have to develop it again. It just runs itself indefinitely. Right. 2048 is another good one like that. Right. 
what this does mean as a downside is like there's zero benefit to you as a developer to under that model to develop a game that is fantastically produced and is you know 10 hours worth of beautiful wonderful content it's like the best movie you've ever experienced kind of you know production quality because uh what did we hear 12 cents an hour times 10 hours yeah. oh great you got a buck 20 who cares yeah. <laughs> right? right you created well, this masterpiece but, of a game game of the year award but like you're gonna get a buck 20 at the end of it but hold on you know that's per user right and is, yeah. is that necessarily any worse than charging 99 cents for that same game no that's actually better right that's true. Uh, yeah, there there are tons of devices out there, and that's I think that may be part of the part of yeah. the the market, right? I mean, if you get a million, it's obviously it's a huge stretch. But if you but if you got a million people using your game for one hour, <laughs> that's pretty good, right? Yeah. So it, you would have to create a masterpiece game that is widely accepted, right? Sure. It couldn't be, sure. you know like an indie film quality good. It can't be successful right. at Cannes. It's got to be successful at your local movie theater kind of thing. Right, right. Um, and coming back to Steam, because that was brought up, uh, Steam recently instituted a policy where I think if you have bought a game and have played fewer than two hours of it, I think you can get a refund, no questions oh, asked, yeah. from the Steam That's platform. That's right. Mm. That's correct. So... I think for gamers in general, that seems like it's probably a good thing because very few games percentage-wise fall into the category I'm going to talk about. But this has led to a backlash in the community of like, hey, like I made a $5 game, but it's it's only like two hours long, right? It's a great, wonderful masterpiece kind of thing. It's a great indie game. And I'm not getting paid because people are like, yeah, I'm done. It took me less than two hours to finish it. I'm going to use the refund thing. There's an unintended consequence there for, for the developers. So, so what do we think of of Tim Cook's ability to sway the stock market? Like happened this week. Were you guys paying attention to all this? No. What was that? What was going on there? Oh yeah, yeah. So, okay, so yeah. Uh, basically, it started last Tuesday night. I think it was Tuesday night in the U.S. Uh, the Chinese stock market just collapsed. The Shanghai yeah, yeah. Market just collapsed completely. So Don't the only next... United States though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that today. Like, doesn't if 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 China China if China owns Canada and the United States, like, and they go under. What happens? Well, they're saying that uh, real estate prices in the Bay Area could get uh, could see a nice little hit in the near future. So, if you're thinking of making a move to the Bay Area, it might be a good time to do so soon, but not yet. Hmm. But anyway, um, so Wednesday, the stock market in the U.S. just uh, followed suit and just collapsed a um, thousand points, like in the first hour of, of business on Wednesday morning. I mean, just crazy. Sure. And yeah. Apple went with it. Uh, down from it, it, would, it was already down to like 107, I think, or so. It collapsed down to 90 bucks, roughly, uh, in, in the first hours or hours of trading. I mean, it was real, a real mess. And Apple is one of the one of the components of the Dow Jones average, so it, it, you know, just all the indices were just down. It was it was looking really, really bad. So mm-hmm. Tim Cook sent an email, apparently, to to Jim Cramer. And I don't know if you guys in Canada don't know who Jim Cramer is, but most yeah, of, of course you do. Yeah, he's, he's a crazy, crazy guy, yeah. you know, mad money guy, right? Sent an email to Jim Cramer saying, "Hey, you know, we're not seeing any problems in in China. Uh, business is great. I'm watching it every day. No issues whatsoever. Everything is fine." Wow! And instantly, within the next couple of hours, Apple was back up. They were up, you know, a couple of bucks over where they opened. The market recovered. Uh, 
all the website was positive for a little while at least. It, it did come down by the end of the day, but yeah. but just the publicity from this email that Apple was doing all right pulled hmm. the pulled the whole market out of the, this tailspin, and it was a I mean an epic proportion tailspin. I mean this was you know this was major crash territory here. Sure, pulled yeah. it out, pulled it up, and and it was, even though it's still bad, it was not nearly nearly as bad as as it, as it could have been or would have been. So that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, that's it, and it actually it's 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 a it's a pretty significant change over the way Apple does things too, right? Steve Jobs would never have done that, right? Steve no, Jobs would have said, "I don't care what the stock price is. You know, we're doing great stuff. It doesn't matter what the stock is." Well, the stock is On the other hand, I mean, Apple was never big enough when Steve Jobs was alive to matter in the stock market as they do today. Well, you know, certainly, yeah, certainly they're much more important now than they were before. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um. But I, I just found that pretty interesting. I mean, it, it, and and as a as an Apple shareholder and someone who's invested in the future of Apple for for business reasons as well and for you know career reasons, uh, I think this is great. I think Apple is 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 announcing publicly that that things are going well, that the you know the, the sort of the, the the rumors that have been buzzing around that you know Apple's you know Apple's in trouble again you know are, are just not really true. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing with uh, Tim Cook, you know, he's such a canny strategist um, yeah. in in everything to do with business, right? So this is a card that he's played now, and I think it's, he would treat it like, like a joker, you know, in a card game. It's like, I've got this one card, and yeah. I'm I'm not going to play this very often. No. Um, but this is one of those times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You can't, yeah. Yeah. right? But this was this was his time to lay it down. And you know, you can imagine, like, inside Apple, like, that that must have happened very quickly, right? You know, because the oh, markets yeah. didn't, they didn't know the markets were going to crash, you know? But the next day, the next morning, they were, yep. they'd composed this email and sent it off to Jim Cramer, and, and boom, everything comes around. Um, that was that was on the fly. It's it's almost, yep. though, as if they, they had planned for that eventuality. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean... It didn't Tim Cook start off and he started off in operations, right? And, and yep. he was the just in time kind of guy, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he would he ha- we would have a finger on on sort of world markets in that sense, in the same sense that perhaps this, someone like Steve Jobs wouldn't have necessarily, yep. or at least have the background in it, right? True, fair enough. So, but it is amazing yeah. when you think about it, like from what Mark is saying, it's amazing that that he or somebody you know would suggest to him to make that move and and pull the stock market up by its own ass, right? Yeah. So, hmm. Investor confidence, that's what they call it, right? Yeah, that's Well, of right. course. Well, and this is the thing. Everybody, everybody's probably panicking and, and stuffing money into the mattress when they start hearing that China's fell off their skateboard today, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I saw a cartoon, a political cartoon of, of the leader of China had fallen on the sidewalk and he was riding a skateboard called Stock Market. Mm. So. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, baby. That's that's the uh, that's the really scary thing about the stock market is is how little it takes to kick it off the skateboard yeah. and how little it takes to pull it back on. Yeah, uh, you know, like the people that that do the investment, like the institutional investors that move the real money in the stock market, um, are <laughs> they're terrifying to think of. Like, I think the less you know about them and how that business works, the better, because uh, it takes so little it seems to make them you know crap their pants and run home to mommy. Uh, so. In a manner of speaking, of course, metaphorically, but it's it's really weird how how skittish the markets are. Uh, yeah. You know, when 
really, you know, businesses are really about fundamentals. You know, you look at uh, sales, you look at profit and loss, you you look at, you know, some very quantifiable things. Uh, but but what drives the value of a company is, none what, of those you know, what we think. Yeah, none of those things. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. The, what we think the future is going to hold for them, yep. um, which... You know, is uh, is no way to <laughs> really invest in a business. If you, I don't know. Uh, I just that's why I don't really like to invest in the stock market directly, uh, except for my mutual funds, <laughs> and uh, um, and just let uh, the market as a whole decide on my investments because uh, investing directly is is too terrifying. Yeah, I think I, ha- I think I have unknowns. a mortgage payment worth of Apple stock is what I have, right? So yeah, yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> But Facebook and Twitter are right behind it, so uh-huh. there you go. Yeah, I found a link for the show notes, which we'll attach uh, to the show about that uh, particular email thing for the New York Times. Cool. Yep. Right. So I was going to mention something. Go oh. ahead, I'm. Oh yeah, a quick public service announcement. So um, apparently, there's some sort of problem with early model iPhone six pluses that may or may not apply yes. to you. But Apple yeah, does have a. Um, an eyesight camera replacement program for the iPhone 6 Plus. Yep. And apparently if your phone was sold between September 2014 and January 2015, we've got a link in the show notes for the website. You can go in, you can put in your serial number and find out if your iPhone is eligible. So apparently you're, you're, it, you're a 6 user, six Plus user, aren't you, Harmy? Yes, and, and my phone actually is eligible because its serial number falls into the right range. I have oh, not really? seen the issues myself. What what they're saying is that uh, a camera component, so this is the rear-facing camera, which is apparently the eyesight camera, news to me, um, has a component that may fail, causing your photos to look blurry. Um, I haven't had any issues. Mine have been super you know, crystal clear. But if you're having issues with them looking kind of muddy, um, you should check this out. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same... same uh time frame as you with my phone as well and i saw somebody posted a video which i thought was ridiculous online of trying to show they filmed the 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 camera they filmed the the lcd screen on the on the phone to try and show what the thing and it just ends up being all wavy because it's out of out of uh out of sync right so it's like what's the point of putting the video up online about that right so yes pro tip if you are running yosemite you can use quicktime to record from your iOS 8 compatible device, which is probably what they should have done. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm yeah. betting that would have worked. So, and so, are you, so, yeah, I wonder, hmm. Do I mean, need... are you going to replace your phone? Or I what are they see... doing? Are they replacing the phone or fixing it or what? What's the... I don't recall. They yeah, replaced the camera. So, so they take like your phone away from you for Repairing the component. Ooh, chilling. So maybe not do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have blurry photos, you might as well, because there's... Yeah, no, but if you don't have blurry photos, are you going to do this? Yeah, I, I wouldn't think it would be worth it. Yeah, I don't know if the, there's the, an expiry time on this offer. I'm going. No, there isn't. There won't be. Uh, I don't like see they, anything that says that. I'll give you an example. The uh, iPhone 5 sleep-wake switch has a replacement program, and uh, Apple is replacing those. But uh, using it's, and I'm looking at the the page for the six plus. It's exactly the same as the one for the iPhone 5 sleep-wake switch, um, and so. Uh, this this will be around forever. For as long as people have these phones, they'll replace it. Oh, here you go. Line at the very bottom of that. The program covers affected ah. iPhone 6 Plus eyesight cameras for three years after the first retail sale of the unit. Oh, oh well. Make me a liar. Damn you, Apple. Which, I mean, come on. Three years from now. I mean, 
Yeah, but if um, three you years know. from now we'll be complaining that they're still supporting the iPhone six plus. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah, that's> <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about how it's holding us back on uh, <laughs> iOS twelve, right? But that point. Oh my god! I look forward to those conversations. Yeah, we'll still be talking about Swift. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, let's do picks then. No, so we didn't I mean, want to have a super long show. Have you guys got picks or no? Or well, yeah, there are I picks do on have this pick. list. Would you believe that Jaime has a pick this week of all weeks with Pac Man Two Fifty Six coming out? Mm-hmm. Come on, no and way! I'm cheating because I have a follow up that's sort of like a follow up pick. All right, well, yep. you can give them both. All right, so uh, all right, let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks, and we'll stop at Aaron's desk. Aaron, do you have a pick? I'll just look up and to the corner and hum a little song to myself and wait for you to go away. So, in other what words, you, you don't have a pick, here? right? That's correct. All right. Uh, Jaime, do you have a pick? I do, and it's almost two picks. Okay, well, so, then why don't you do Aaron's pick while you're at it? Yeah, yeah he can borrow. I'll, I'll lend him my pick. Mm. So, um, Thanks, Jaime. As a bit of follow-up to whatever episode it was where we talked about Crossy Road, I apologize, mm-hmm. probably, mm-hmm. probably will be in the show notes. Um, you remember Crossy Road, right? People yes. remember this app. The only reason game. to have an iPad. Yeah, this, this, yes, yes. As Aaron gave us the pro tip, you, you have to cheat by playing in landscape mode on the iPad. Completely changes True the story. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, it's the Frogger-style game that's done with a voxel um, visual design style. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, wonderful game. Uh, great example of indie development uh, success. You know, the, the, the lucky few who can do that. Mm-hmm. They came up with an update today, or not today, they came up with an update on August 22nd that includes um, Pac-Man as a playable character. Oh, and it's cool. actually kind of neat. Like, when you play as Pac-Man, it has a different mode, so um, you try to collect power pellets, and when you do get, collect a power pellet, rather than worrying about getting hit by, uh, instead of vehicles, it's ghosts, you can just plow right through the ghosts. Feels great. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, and the visual design is interesting, too, because it uh, changes everything on the landscape to evoke the feeling of being in the maze for Pac-Man. And it has kind of a like a Tron retro vibe to it that I really dig. Cool. Uh, but that's not my real pick. The reason oh. I bring it up is because related that to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Episode related 17, by the way. Episode 17. Ah, yes. Thank you. So related to that is a new game starring Pac-Man, Pac-Man 256. Uh, by Bandai Namco as the developer uh, on the App Store. Wait, aren't they a big game developer already? Namco, that... Bandai Namco does, in fact, do games. But in this particular case, they asked the creators of Crossy Road, uh, ah. Hipster Whale, to build this endless runner Pac-Man game for them. And it's kind of taken the world by storm. Yeah, I have to look at the charts, but it was like number two, I think, uh, on day one. Like it hmm. immediately shot up there. And it takes the Pac-Man maze scheme and makes it an endless, an endless maze. So it's continuously going uh, towards it. It's like an isomorphic, um, mm-hmm. isometric, I should say. It's an isometric view. So you're kind of viewing things at an off-kilter angle, kind of like you do in Crossy Road. And you're going from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen forever. And you're, and and you're going it, left and right and up and down and... Yes, yes, right. but the the maze tends to be much, you know, taller than it is wide, right? Because sure, there's a sure. there's a physical limit to the the width of it. So you're just going straight, uh, straight ahead, you know, twists and turns, avoiding the ghosts. Um, it's actually really fun. So it's done in that 
Crossy Road style. Hmm. Um, it is Crossy Road. It, it it sort of is Crossy it Road. Is I mean, Crossy Road. There's, there's definitely I can see That's a lot the trick. of reuse. Like that oh my great, God, brilliant yeah, idea by Hipster Whale, right? Are you playing this. it now, oh. Aaron? No, I'm not playing it right now. I just watched the Jays hit a grand slam. It's beautiful. No, what, <laughs> I, I watched a video um, interviewing the developer of hipster of the, from Hipster Whale, talking about the deal they made with Namco, okay. and uh, demonstrating the gameplay all the while. And oh my god, man! It's like they took the game engine from Crossy Road and just mapped this like Pac-Man grid on top of it. Done. Ship it. Hmm. It was awesome. Like that's what that's what you know. If you're in, getting into business as an app developer. What a great way to do it. You know, you you go to a, a brilliantly well-known uh, game developer, you know, making one of the most famous video games in history. Sure. And, and you come out with a port of it based on your existing game engine. Holy crap. Well, cool. That's, what exa- a, what that's a... exactly what the, the Tomb Runner guys did with, with Disney. They, they, did a, they spun out a couple of versions of their app by basically white-labeling it, if you will. For yeah, that's, yeah, that's almost exactly what this is. It's a, like a white-labeled version of, of Crossy Road. Mm-hmm. Good on them! Holy crap! And now they're—they weren't—they were—they were wealthy before. We knew this, right? Because we mm-hmm. saw the articles about it back when Crossy Road came out. We were talking about that. Sure. And now, and now they're like Scrooge McDucking it, and uh, <laughs> good for them. All right. Yeah. This is, and and it's it's it it works really well too. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's some critical differences between it and traditional Pac-Man, right? So. You have the fact that it's an endless maze, right? So you, you sure. can't you can't beat the game per se. Um, oh, I don't know. There was there were guys I used to watch back in the day in the arcades who could go for hours on Pac-Man because they knew the patterns. Well, funny you should say that because Pac-Man yeah, does yeah. have a definitive end when you get into glitch mode, right? In which you right. effectively can't really play the game anymore. Ah. And funny we should talk about the glitch because you can't just <laughs> you know sit and run around in the same corner even if you could avoid the ghost because. You have to avoid the glitch, which is this wave of crazy numbers and letters and, and whatnot that are just eating up the maze behind you. So you have to sure. continuously move, 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 oh, move, move. Cool. And they also added um, power-ups. Like, uh, I've only seen a handful of these so far, based on how long I've played. Like, you can get a, a laser beam that blasts everything in front of you. You can get, like, a cloaking device that will make it so you can pass right through the ghosts. Hmm. The one I like the best is the bomb, where... You turn into a red Pac-Man, and when a ghost touches you, a blast radius destroys every ghost within, you know, a few square meters is what it would look like. Hmm. Um, so tons of fun, very well replayable. The thing that they got from, you know, Hipster Whale and the Crossy Road kind of mentality is it's actually fairly, um, fairly lenient in terms of how much can you play, what can you get out of it, right? right? So it's a free game, um, very similar to Crossy Road. It does include in-app purchases, and I think I would say what came from Namco is the fact that, kind of like the arcade game, you only have a limited number of credits. So if you die as a on a particular run, you lose one of your six credits. Um, you can elect to burn another credit to continue the run and continue seeing like how much further you could go, or you mm. could restart from the beginning of the maze. Mm. Um, couple things that, that, that come out really nice. I think they're actually fairly generous with the options of, oh, well, you know, you collected enough coins, you, you win a prize, and that prize is, oh, look, it's two more credits, so you can continue to play. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just straight up purchase the $8 or $7.99 US unlimited credits, which gives you basically access to everything. So it's like you just straight up paid up for the game. Cool. Oh. 
I highly recommend it. And I just wish the way Jays would score more grand grand uh, slams, so this podcast would have a cheery attitude, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the way the season t- is going, Tim, I think you're going to have a very happy. Oh, should end. I should I go to the lumber yard? Should there I be- isn't enough lumber for all the homers we're hitting here. No, I want to go build the bandwagon. Uh, no, see, <laughs> that would be you getting on that bandwagon, my friend. I've been here for friggin' thirty five years. Ball! Sports yes. ball. I have my, these I have, guys are sportsing so great now. I have my uh, my uh, somewhere. I have my, my Blue Jays won the World Series T-shirt upstairs, buried away uh-huh, 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 from last uh-huh. time I had the bandwagon put together. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I really, really don't look forward to this moment. Um, Mark, do you have a pick? Let me see here. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have I kind of have two picks too, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna and one I just played with a little bit and I was a little disappointed it doesn't work as advertised on the tin as Aaron would say, um, but I found it about um, something in uh, I think um, Tom Harrington tweeted about this a couple of days ago a product called iSwift, and I'm not sure if it's only for Mac OS 10 development or if it's iOS and Mac, but apparently what it is is a uh, product that lets you enter in Objective-C and it will convert it into Swift, okay? What? And there's a Mac, for it. it's called iSwift, and there's a version of iSwift.org, um, and there's a um, downloadable for the Mac to play around with. But I only tried it online this afternoon. I took a, a simple little Hello World kind of app with a you know, label and a button on it, and pasted my code in there and said convert it, and then I brought it back over to Xcode, tried to run it, of course, because it's Swift, it didn't run, right? Um, but it was close enough to, that I could, you know, it, it kind of did some things correctly, and I just had to go through and change a few uh, things in it, but there's a tool out there that will convert Objective-C into Swift that somebody's built. So what do you think about that? Orc mischief. Uh-huh. That is orc mischief. <laughs> yep. Here's what I think, and you guys can jump in sure. after I'm done thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, this this will work fine, I think, for like a view controller, maybe. Sure. But um, I, I I think once once Swift becomes more mainstream and more people adopt it, it's yeah. going to become a language that doesn't so closely resemble Objective C. As I think it might more be likely to today, sure, uh, because of the Coco stuff, right? I mean, you're just if you're just doing Coco stuff like with UI Kit, all the front end code. I think that's not probably going to change that much. Mm-hmm. And even I, I hesitate even to say that because there's stuff that you can that you would be able to do in Swift more easily, say, than you can in in Objective C. I'm thinking uh, of the um, the sort of the um, the the reactive parts of it. Sure. Um, you know, where you can have getters and setters and have observers on that stuff and um, the, the protocol orientation of Swift. Um, I think once Swift becomes more adopted, it's going to start looking different and acting different than Objective-C. And what I'm seeing here is like a straight translation Yes. yes. from Objective-C to Swift, like a simplistic one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just don't think, you know, I just don't know what the uh, the benefit of this is. You know, because 
uh, the the LLDB compiler can do this too, right? <laughs> doesn't sure. Yeah, doesn't, yeah. It's all going to the same place anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I was looking at, I was watching a, um, some resources on uh, for a course I'm preparing on Swift, and uh, I was watching the Stanford University uh, online stuff that's on iTunes University, and the second. Uh, lecture, uh, the professor, I forgot his name now, um, I'll put in the show notes, um, he did a demonstration where he was talking, building a, a, a series of functions that would work on a bunch of different things, and he wrote up the code as you normally would, and they kind of looked at it and went, well, this is a little, you know, it's kind of repetitive code, why why don't I just make one function and then just feed in the the very the operands into this into this one function, so he broke it down to one function, and then he, and place it right into a variable argument, and eventually put that into a closure, like a block sort of thing, right? Um, and then he could ex- abstract that away further, 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 because the Swift compiler understands an anonymous function, basically, right? And it got to the point where it was so... If I had looked at that without understanding how he got to that point, I would not have been able to interpret what I was looking at on the screen from a coding point of view, right? And I think that's what's going to happen, like you said, Swift is going to get to a point where it's so far abstracted that it doesn't look anything like Objective-C in certain certain amount of time. Who knows, right? Yeah, perhaps in the model parts. But I, I still imagine that as long as we're coding against Coco and doing front-end development, it probably will look a lot like, uh, you know, just thinking that way. But I don't know if you saw on our favorite website, raywonderlick.com. They, Ding! They just published a uh, series of questions like iOS, or sorry, not iOS, but Swift interview questions. And I participated in that as a sort of a beginner, intermediate level guinea pig um, on a sort of a written and a verbal test. And I haven't looked at the actual test results, but some of the people on the Slack group were saying that some of the questions there were really tough, right? So... Uh, it's an interesting. It's going to be an interesting learning curve for a lot of people at a lot of different levels, and and for us too. I mean, yeah, I think especially us, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm Mark. Hats off to you, man, for for saying what I think a lot of us are are kind of nervous about saying is that uh, this is going to be tough for us. Sure. Learning Swift, you know, um, and I think more people need to say that, you know, because it's it's too easy to uh just sort of smile and nod you know apple new technology we're gonna get behind <laughs> it you know? me, boys. no smile no me. problem man we're gonna figure this out we're we're doers we're learners you know this is all we do is figure out new stuff and, sure you know but this is this is a tough pill to swallow yeah. yeah so you know um it's gonna take time it's gonna take a lot of time but you know what we've got a lot of time um for everybody <laughs> seriously for everybody that says that you have to learn swift yeah um or you're gonna be left behind I don't believe that for a second. Hmm. Yep, that's me. Just telling you like it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like they're, well, I mean, there was a day when, you know, they were moving us towards Open Dock and, you know, <laughs> the other. And, and then all of a sudden, this guy named Steve came along and said, nope, don't need to learn Open Dock at all, right? So, and there was a lot of fur back then, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the writing is obviously on the wall. This is where Apple wants you to be. But um, sure. I'm not going to crap my pants until the WWC comes along where Apple says, oh, yeah, by the way, Coco is now Swift. And um, whoops, <laughs> looks like everything is protocol oriented. Never mind object oriented programming. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, then yeah. then I will change my shorts and learn Swift in a heartbeat. Uh, but until then, I don't see. Well, OK, I, honestly, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But hmm. um, but you have until then. 
uh, to comfortably stay with Objective-C. But, you know, having said that, you know, I, I hasten to add that um, we should we should know that there will come a day when we will be learning and writing in Swift. It's going to have to happen. So coming back to my pick, yes, you sorry. don't think a tool like this you don't, you don't think a tool like this would assist in that sort of transition for people? I could, you know, in a very surfacey, simplistic sort of way. Yeah. Um, but it's not going it's not going to be a replacement for learning Swift. Right? Yeah. And and no, yeah. on, on yeah. the same token, um, you're going to have to learn Swift in what better way than converting your own code manually to Swift? Sure, sure. Sure. So why well, that, why would I have this but, tool do it for me? Yeah, and like I said, there have been some good things. Like when you see Greg's video, um, when it comes out, you'll see he showed some tricks or sort of some techniques for figuring out what a type is uh, when you're looking at a uh, an, an element on the screen, and, and uh, you're using the you know the option click on it kind of trick and uh, seeing what what the compiler thinks it's looking for. Things like that. Um, there are a number of number of things you can learn to do. That we'll ha- all have to learn how to do. I mean, like we all have to learn how to do it with with Objective C, with the debuggers and breakpoints, and looking at what the variables are and knowing what the state is. Um, we'll all have to basically get our heads wrapped around doing that in Swift as well. That is true. There you go. Anyway, I just saw this. I saw this little magic pill, and I thought maybe you know, there's a. I traded my cow for it. Right. <laughs> that was a damn fool thing I mean, to do, 90... Mitra. <laughs> for nine ninety nine, sounds to me like, like you know, when when you see tools that will take your uh, Android code and convert it to Objective C, so you all of a sudden sure. now tomorrow you have an iOS app and an Android app. You know, yeah, it's it seems it seems a little too good to be true. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's and and as a learning tool, I, I worry that it's 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 not going to write very well written. And you know, um, uh, you know, good yeah. uh, Swift code. I don't think yeah. it's it's going to just kind of you know have machine generated. Swift yeah, code. it's it's like a sausage yeah. mill. And like a, like yeah. so that was my experience today when I took a very simple little view controller or just a view did load method and stuck it in there because you can only try in the in the online version twenty five lines of code. So I punched mm-hmm. a bunch of code in there and you know. It, did a bunch of stuff like it took it created the variable and then it you know did the dot view whatever kind of stuff to it and it wasn't it wouldn't run so i had to actually go in and massage yeah. the code to make it run yeah. properly right so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it looks like a straight up mapping um from objective c to swift which i think importantly misses doing the idiomatic swift mm-hmm. exactly yes. right the the very yeah. functional basis that swift has and and even here <laughs> kind of here on their their example like Everything should be let unless it has a real good reason to be var. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there were a couple of good talks on on uh, reference and value types at uh, at three sixty I did where they talked exactly about that kind of stuff that you should basically not everything should be um, everything should be em- yeah. immutable so that uh, you know it, it wouldn't change unless you absolutely wanted it to kind of thing, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean yeah. for nine ninety nine, you know, if it saves you the grunt work of doing that first step. Sure, sure, why not? Sure. Or if you've got, you know, interns, maybe you can have them do it instead. Yeah, yeah. There was a good talk by Rene Cachot on, uh, he, they basically took a project that they inherited done in Objective-C and they wanted to move it over to Swift. And he br- he went through the whole story using the Lord of the Rings as a metaphor about, you know, going to Mount Doom and destroying the ring is, is his analogy for shipping it. But they broke down the app. They started with a single view controller and they worked down through 
the architecture. So they took a slice of the persistence, a slice of the networking, um, a slice of utilities and stuff like that. They worked on one vertical slice of the app and then they continued across until they eventually finally got it to a, a point where it was pure Swift and they could ship it. But it sounded like a, like a, like, you know, like it required three tomes of the Lord of the Rings to get there, right? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. It sounds like they were stretching their metaphor a little far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. also a tricky one because, um, well, they're wondering, for, spoiler alert for a book that's like <laughs> 60 years old and movies that are more than a decade old. Um, Isildur <laughs> didn't want to destroy the ring and Frodo pretty much failed to destroy the ring. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you mean Tell you them that about their metaphor? Oh, because because uh, Sam ended up doing it. Or no, what do you, what do you mean, uh, d- dude? Well, it's essentially Gollum. Gollum <laughs> accidentally does it, right? You, oh, right. You know this book, right? Spoiler alert! Yeah, yeah. spoiler alert! <laughs> you spoiled it. For All I remember is Voldemort and Harry Potter fighting at the top of the hill, and they <laughs> fell over, and you know. Oh, you're killing me! Right, it was a revenge killing for Obi Wan. And then Luke came killed. along with the yeah. lightsaber. He said, "I'm your father." Killed. Yes. Yeah, and cut his hand <laughs> off, and you know. <laughs> That's the same story, isn't it? Pretty much not the same right. story. Okay. Wrap, <laughs> wrap. Let's button her up, Tim. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> once again, I guess we'll see you guys next week. But before we go, Aaron, if people want to look for you on the interwebs, where would they look? They'd go to Twitter, Aaron Vay on Twitter, or MagpieVideo.com to find out more about Magpie, my app for watching video later. Right. And Jaime, if people were trying to find out how to get to Mount Doom, what would you tell them? Well, they should go to devwithahair.com or they should tweet me at devwithahair. Cool. And Mark, where can people find you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, my name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I am on T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter and you can find me at my website, it-guy.com. And I troll around on raywonderlick.com as well. Dang. Alrighty. So I guess we'll see you guys next week for episode 55. Alright. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. Like Charles Perry. I didn't go to his talk, but somebody took notes for me. I love his line. He, the one thing he says is, uh, "If you if you can take a nap without asking permission, then you're an indie developer." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Now that Justin Williams man, he is uh, not around online anymore. So he Isn't was he? he was well he's he he's... turned his Twitter account private. Um, yeah, and, Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, following him, so like I, yeah. I can still see his tweets, but he does not tweet very often anymore. There are certain mm-hmm. people that just get that they, um, they decide that that Twitter's not fitting in their lives anymore, and they yeah. walk away. It's sad. Oh, so how come you guys didn't cool. second my thoughts and what I've been doing? Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, or shutting down 
Uh, I'm worried on. about some Eskimos <laughs> writing in and complaining about that snow comment. Well, they're Inuits. Yeah. Selling they're, snow they're to Inuits. Inuits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I realized I had a Canadian audience here as I was saying that. So yeah. I have to get to be careful about that. That's stuff. okay. We, we, we don't care. We don't care. I, you know what I'm really worried about? I'm really worried that you guys are going to vote Donald Trump into office. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm front runner of the Republican Party. Give your heads a shake. No, no, let him go because there's no way that man's going to win. Seriously? Uh, oh, God, come on. I mean, just just wait it I'm out. Rick it. Perry, the last time around, was yeah. clearly going to win. Remember how he was like hotness no, for like two no, weeks? No, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kane, Herbert Kane was the guy. Who, he was the one who was going to win. Mm. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who was it? That, oh, it was uh, uh, who was the last guy for the Republicans? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Yeah, the base oh, joker. Oh, right. That's kind of funny. Well, I think you got a bigger joke in in there right now. I, I you know. I was watching something, and I can't believe that there are people in Iowa supporting this guy. And you know, I mean, Trump, yeah. you know, I could say, hey, you know what? They, Trump, yeah, he's just he's reality TV. Everybody knows that. It's just it's yeah. the humor. It's the entertainment value. Yeah, but dude, yeah, like American tax dollars at work, well. though, isn't it? What's that? Isn't it American tax yes. dollars behind this stuff? No, so no, not, at this no point. It's, not in the primary. It's it's uh it's billionaire tax dollars or not tax dollars? <laughs> billionaire it. dollars. No, because we have this um, Supreme Court ruling that says that billionaires can donate as much as they want, as long as they hide it. Really? Wow. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so what's the primary? The primary is just getting to the point where they pick the front runner who's going to run against the other guy? Is that the, the idea behind the primaries? Yeah. So it used to be that the parties were more, you know, more... Uh, Fixed? Se- separate or different, you know, and... and, and it, you, yeah, so so each party would pick a candidate and they'd run it. But right. it used to be like the primaries were like a month long, you know, in the old days. Oh yeah, uh, and it was it was just kind of a mo- it, the real decision was made in you know smoky rooms, back rooms somewhere, yeah. you know, where they decide who's going to run. Um, like but Canada. Now- <laughs> <laughs> Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> now let's not get into the Canadian electoral system; it'll freak them out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Um, yeah, and now it's just this, you know, year-long or five-year-long uh, uh, debacle of craziness. Mm. So this will go on for the whole year until the actual real election starts next year? Yeah, so the conventions are will be next summer, roughly. And at the convention, they actually make the nomination for the party. And then, and then the actual election is only a couple months long. So, I mean, we all know Donald Trump can afford it. Will he continue till next summer, till they, the the convention people tell him to go away or well so it's hard for them to tell him to go away if he wins primaries that's the hard part because what it is is each state has a number of delegates right that they send to the primary to the uh to the convention and each and each delegate has one vote right Uh, and every state has different rules about how the votes get voted Mm -hmm. Um, some states are if you win the primary your your votes all the votes for that state automatically go to you oh really um yeah so so yeah if, if he wins a lot of primaries he could get nominated it's possible it's possible sort of hard to in fact, I, I think i think it seems likely at this point that he he will get through and become the the republican presidential candidate which would be hilarious well it'd be yeah. hilarious it, it, aaron it'll be hilarious until he actually gets elected that's the part that scares the hell out of me no, right I, I just can't fathom it impossible impossible that's really? The, the, yeah, the U.S. is crazy, but they're not that crazy. Really? I have two words for you. The U.S. is pretty crazy. Doug Ford. 
No, this nope. is different. <laughs> I've said. All right, guys, I'm hey, out of here. Sarah, <laughs> Palin, Sarah Palin was close to being vice president. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. Well, didn't happen. Awesome. All right, good night, guys. Bye, bye, Sierra.